Hello and welcome to the Australian's Money Puzzle podcast. I'm James Kirby, Wealth Editor at The Australian. Welcome aboard, everybody. Now, in recent weeks, we've been looking on the Tuesday at residential property and talking to all sorts of people, particularly buyer's agents. I find buyer's agents interesting because they have a slightly different perspective on the market uh, than real estate agents. Often, actually, they, 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 are, they were originally real estate agents and then they became buyers agents where they specialize in in basically helping you the buyer to buy a property not very complicated uh, but they, they have a very different role and what i wanted to do today was to widen things a little into commercial property and interestingly they also have buyers agents in commercial property and perhaps they're even more useful to be honest because you might have some experience in buying residential homes, but the chances are that you're completely at sea. If you go to buy uh, an entry-level investor commercial property, that would be something like a shop or um, a petrol station, a childcare care centre. Uh, the cheapest thing of all, the entry point, uh, I might be corrected on this in a minute by our guest, it would be something like industrial warehouses, industrial units, a little industrial unit there that uh, that you might have then some diversification and we talk about diversification non-stop so if you're a serious property investor i think it makes a lot of sense to diversify in property as well so my guest today is a buyer's agent in the commercial arena it's mish daniel from revolve commercial property hi mish how are you hey james thank you for the introduction Th- great to be here you're you're welcome for the introduction and welcome aboard. So tell me, uh, I, I, there's a couple of things which I have always seen as sort of fundamental fundamentals of in, in investing in commercial property for, for, for the everyday investor. It is, um, it's not utterly different than buying residential, but there's a few, there's a few big differences. One is that um, much longer leases much better yields, but that I mean higher rents. Higher rents is a proportion of the amount you spent on the property. But the big challenge then is longer vacancies. So the tenancies tend to be long. So someone comes in, uh, ABC Limited come in and they, and they probably rent for five years. But if they leave or something changes, the place could be empty for a year. That would not be unusual. While in residential, that's the thing you don't have to worry about. Virtually always late at the market. At the moment, obviously, with vacancy rates at zilch one percent, there's almost no fear of that. But tell me, any of that is any of that to be challenged by you as a as a buyer's agent in your area? Certainly, James. There's so much. There, there, there's so many questions that you've actually just asked me in that one statement, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, take your time. Answer them all. We've got we've got plenty of time. So, um, firstly. Uh, the entry level into commercial real estate is quite a lot higher. So as opposed to buying residential property, I always say buying residential property is very simple because uh, mm. everybody lives in a house. You know how to buy property. You need a 10% deposit um, and you're looking at bricks and mortar and maybe the street or the area. When it comes to commercial property, you're looking at around about seven areas of due diligence um, and when, you, we, when you're buying into a commercial property, you're not just buying the structure and the environment. So, in other words, the street, you know, whether it's a good street um, or, um, you know, a, a very busy street, you're looking at various different things. You're looking at the strength of your tenant. You're looking at the, mm. the lease itself, the legal aspect of it. You're looking at the, the structure 
the surroundings, the passing traffic, all that, all that kind of stuff as well. Now, with mm. regards vacancies, you mentioned vacancies, and I know this is one of the biggest um, fears for um, mm-hmm. yes. uneducated investors when looking at uh, commercial real estate. It's a matter of mitigating the risks when you purchase that property. So you'll hear mm. people saying your best acquisition, your best discount um, is when you buy the property. In commercial, we always say the best acquisition is the exit strategy. So in other words, what can you do with that property should your tenant vacate in the event that your tenant vacates? So we look at a commercial property very differently. Um and it's very much a matter of what type of commercial properties. Now, you get three fundamental sectors. The one would be yeah. industrial. Your second would be retail. And your third would be um, commercial, office commercial. And those three sectors would be broken into subsectors as well, okay, because you've got a huge okay. industrial. You've got your um, micro-industrial and likewise for all the other sectors. All of them have got t- different yeah. criteria that we would look at Mm. that would Mm. substantiate whether it would be a good um, asset um, and acquisition or whether it's something to pass over on. For for listeners, can you give an idea of what is the absolute rock bottom minimum entry point here in this this area of property investing? Look, um, I would say safely you would need to have around about 200,000 to come into a commercial property. You can buy commercial properties for less than that. We don't do them as buyer's agents just because it, mm-hmm. it becomes way too expensive for the for the buyer themselves. Mm. Um, and typically with someone is starting, of the three areas you mentioned, what, what, what is the most typical kind of classic entry point? I would say probably um, street level office and retail would be that oh, sort yeah. of and and two hundred thousand is going to give you a property in the region of about five to six hundred thousand. So so mm. you're looking at a ratio of about thirty three percent. So you need around about between thirty to forty percent deposit, which is going to get you that five to six hundred thousand dollar acquisition. Is that is that what the what the financiers and the banks actually want? Then they want higher deposits, do they? Then definitely. Um, you mm. can, depending on your serviceability, and everybody is different. So, depending on the serviceability, you might be able to get. You know, if you if you have got the finances and you have got the serviceability, uh, you might be able to get eighty or ninety percent. In fact, um, of late, we've had some clients that have gone up to ninety five and a hundred percent. You know, depending depending right. on, on on the type of um, uh, work that they're in, the area of the expertise. Mm. Um, and okay. what their portfolio looks like. And and just to go back on the, what we were saying at the very yeah. start, um, the yields are higher, right? So they're, 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 they're much higher than residential. So residential is, let's put a number on it, 3 or 4%. Yeah. And, uh, and in property, the yields are much, tell me if I'm wrong, so more like 4 to 7? Would that be broad? Um, right? I'm going to say uh, 6 to 8% plus. Okay. So depending okay. on where mm-hmm. you're buying, in which areas, um, right. your six percent is going to be sort of closer to your your grey areas around the metro. So just outside of the metro, 
Uh, and the more regional you, you, you go to, the higher your yields are. So we're busy settling a yeah. property at the moment at 10.3%. Uh, it's yes, it sounds. I mean, to the to the to the to the investor who's never gone in that area before, it sounds great, right? It sounds sounds terrific. Woo, ten percent. <laughs> wow, sounds very good. Why is it ten percent? Why are the yields higher than residential? Um, a number of reasons. Again, buying commercial property, um, like I mentioned right in the beginning, you've got you've got more areas of due diligence. So you really need to know your stuff. Um, mm. The higher your yield, the higher your risk. So we always look at risk versus reward. Um, mm. In the metro areas, depending on which city you're looking at, you could be looking at anything from that 5% up to 7% plus percent. Um, and if you're looking at a, a property that is in a fast-moving area or a growth area, you're going to be kind of between that 5 and 6%. Your risk is low. You've got a, lot, a higher population. And it's very subject to the type of property and the type of area that you're buying in. Okay. Yeah. Depending on, you know, what the demand is. So we look at all of those factors when we're buying properties. We we do a synopsis of all of those factors, put them all together and say, well, does property A meet all criteria? Does it tick the boxes? Mm. Okay. Well, if I'm thinking about commercial property and I'm a first-time buyer and I, I'm thinking that the majority of our audience will be in that category, I'm thinking, okay, I've been in residential property and it all worked out. It was fine. I didn't like the periods where the tenants left. Perhaps the tenants drove the person mad for one reason or another. Perhaps every year they had to get a new tenant. Who knows? So they say, okay, I look at commercial property. I see some, I see some serious attractions, long-term tenancies. Uh, but then I say, the one thing I would find really hard is the long, everything's long-term. So the tenancies are long-term, and if it becomes vacant, those vacancies tend to be longer than residential. Is, first of all, is that, can you just clarify on that, why it might be? Not necessarily. Again, when you're purchasing commercial property, you're going to be looking at that exit strategy. So, so we would look at the property and we'd say, if that tenant leaves, who else could move in there? And how can we change this building? So it would either be a change of use, change of tenancy, uh, change of type of, of, of business that goes in there. Yeah. Um, and believe me, we've had changes where we've had um, a building uh, purchased for 450000 that was um, hospitality restaurant type building, was converted, went through a change of use. It was an expensive exercise. Um and attracted a medical um, tenant in there, uh, up the value to 1.3 million, and that is currently mm. what the property is, is is valued at. So it's not right. what you do; it's how you do it. What about the risk, which isn't so much a risk in residential, that the business fails, that the business doesn't pay you, that the business goes under? Great question. At the beginning, I said there are various different areas mm. of due diligence. One of the things that we do mm. when we are doing the due diligence, it's almost like purchasing a business because you're not only purchasing the bricks and mortar, you are purchasing yeah. the uh, stability of that business. So we'd be asking questions yeah. like how long have they been trading? How stable are they? Have they missed any, any mm. rentals? What does their tenancy ledger look like? What do they what do their, their payments look like over the, the, the weakest areas? You know, so we really drill into who the tenant is because effectively when you're buying a building, that tenant's gonna be your business partner. So 
Yeah, right. Okay. Mm. Yeah, so you want to know that they are, they're stable, they're going to be staying there for a long time, and what are their plans? And, and what's the length of a typical lease? Look, um, we we don't like to look at anything less than three years, and if we do have a three-year, mm. we always like to see a plus three on the back so that we know that the tenants have yeah. an option to stay on. Um, we like mm. to focus around about that five-year um, so five plus fives are great. And from a lending point of view, when the uh, banks look at three plus threes or five plus fives, they're, they're very happy with it. And bearing in mind okay. when the bank does the, the due diligence as well, they're doing the majority share of the lend, they're doing the heavy lifting, they're going to be looking at exactly the same sort of um, aspects that we are. So it strikes me that in this area, uh, it's a lot more work up front. But once it's set and rolling, it could run for years. <laughs> My analogy of that. Am I dreaming? <laughs> it's a huge amount of work up front. It is monumentous mm. amount of work up front. And we say mm. to my clients, it's mm. a little bit like going skydiving. Um, you know, you're flirting with the idea of jumping out of plane. You go and you do your training. Mm. It's all exciting. And then you get onto that plane. You go into the sky. And then it's the doors open. And you've got to jump out that door. <laughs> Mm, <laughs> you got to make sure yeah, that yeah. your shoes on. So it's 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 all those 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 feelings and emotions. Yeah. Um, and we are basically your parachute. So when you jump out that plane, mm. we your parachute to make sure that you have a happy landing. <laughs> so it's much more. It sounds like a buyer's agent in your area is much more engaged than in residential. Um, I would say if you're using a buyer's agent who isn't engaged, you are going to be running into problems. Um, because you mm. But no, but I mean the the the, the the minimum engagement is considerably deeper than residential because of that. It's a business to business, as Correct. you say. Yeah, yeah. very. Much. And how do how do people charge in your area? Uh, look, it's it's based very much on the same rates as um, as agents. So the mm -hmm. agents would charge a three percent, sometimes three point three percent of late because of the hot market. We've we've um, set up our rates at around about two percent, two point five percent, depending on the value of the asset, and then we have a cut-off fee yeah. as well. Oh, uh, and you have a, a cut-off fee. So depending on the value yeah. of the asset, oh yeah, have a okay. range, mm -hmm. you know. To yeah. And then, do you manage it as well, or is that uh, do do you buyers agents typically manage? as well or do they do you recommend a manager great question i'm so pleased you asked that most buyers agents don't manage we found mm. a, a, a gap in the market where we were finding that a lot of our, our clients came through us we found them incredible assets and they went off and found their own managers or they'd use the manager the the, the agent that they bought the property from disastrous mm. it was absolutely disastrous mm. and a lot of them came back to me with their problems and out of that, we uh, gave birth to a company called Commercial Realty Management, which we now have. And you manage. Okay. And is that typical in that area where buyer's agents also manage? Are you, are you typical or are you, is it, are you in a different category than the usual? Very different category to the usual. Okay. All right. We'll just, we'll just leave that with listeners and they, they can make up their own minds about how to do that. All right. Um, interesting. Now, one of the things I was saying at the start was about vacancy rates. And I had always assumed that vacancy rates in residential were, well, I had assumed that um, industrial property, commercial property vacancy rates were not as tight as residential. Though I'm reading this week that they are. Are they? Are, are the, the cities very, I can't, I mean, is it the case that like, are you telling me that industrial warehousing developments in the edges of cities have 
1% vacancy rates? Is that true? James, there is, the, the market has shifted so much. You know, if you were buying mm. commercial, uh, industrial property in 2008-2009, you could be buying it for absolutely nothing. But the demand has yeah. shifted so much, particularly since uh, COVID-19, um, that there's, yeah. there's, it's estimated loosely that there's something to the equivalent of 80,000 square meters of um, industrial space that is short in short supply around the country. Right. Yes, I see. So there is a shortage of of even of all sorts of commercial space. Um, primarily, mm. I, I'd say that industrial is probably first on the list. Um, mm. And when we look at, at assets, we look primarily um, at the three asset classes. Industrial would be our first, retail would be our second, and then office commercial would be our third. And there's a little bit of a okay. blend between all of them. When you look at your your own books, your client lists, what would be the dominant type of asset? Is it? I know traditionally shops are a big thing. I don't know if they are anymore. But what would be the most popular style of the three that your your clients hold or bought? At the moment, it would be industrial, and then second mm. to that, sort of neck on neck with retail. So shops, retail, um, yeah. and and the the shops retail. It has a little bit of a blend because you can have retail showroom with a warehouse space in the back. You know, so right, it yeah. kind of overlaps, but it's it's that that sort of um, asset that is in high demand at the moment, and that's where the biggest shortage is. We see, we see, we look at the big end of town. Obviously, industrial has been great. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about property trusts, like big end right. of town. Um, an office office property has been. Huge. The most, the, the well, it has it has been the weakest, yes. uh, and it's having the most trouble. And we're having unlisted uh, trusts actually, you know, um, oh, suspending redemptions at the moment. A handful of them, but uh, there could be more to come. Um, so, looking from here out, I would think industrial is a great bet, and I would thought that retail and office is weaker than that. Is that? Too general an observation. It's quite a general observation. What's what's happened is um, uh, office has taken a major hit through COVID nineteen. I mean, they mm. in the big cities, the cities were empty, as we all know, um, and a lot of people relocated. A lot of people are, are now working remotely, um, and as a result of that, a lot of pop up industry has has popped out of that as well. Um, we found that um, retail has held pretty strong, especially uh, street-level retail, so small, smaller um, shopping centres. And the biggest demand has, of course, been um, industrial. So, um, mm. I, but it looks it looks to the to the to the untrained eye, it looks like retail's very weak. I mean, there's tracks of suburban shopping strips that are empty. Uh, in the various cities, still, it's it's very dependent on where you're looking because you've got retail mm. retail in in specific precincts are incredibly strong, um, whereas mm. in in and uh, I know of a couple of areas where retail is just you don't want to touch it, you don't want to go near it. Yes, you know? right. bearing in mind that it works in cycles. Okay, mm -hmm. do you think the cycles are? Are forever cycles, or have they been changed? <laughs> I believe that the, <laughs> by COVID. cycles are always changing. I believe that that uh, mm, just like just okay. like property goes through the property clock, I believe that the cycles do yeah. change. Um, and it's like it's like shares. You know, you always want to buy the the property when it's at the bottom of the cycle, but you never know where the bottom of the cycle is. 
Um, yeah. So we do um, observation of gentrification. So in other words, we'll we'll watch what's happening in those areas, and generally you yeah. can see that there might be a change of of um, residential that's coming in, and what are the factors that are driving those changes in residential, and what do what do those residentials need would determine what type of of commercial or industrial or retail property is required. So, right. So okay. If mm. you think about it, commercial property is, um, let's call it 12 to 18 months behind um, residential property. And wherever there's development, they're going to need um, commercial support. Doctors, yes, lawyers, yeah, okay. uh, hairdressers, yes. barbers, whatever. Okay. You're right, terrific. We we only have so much time, but um, just give us uh, some your personal observations in terms of if you were looking at that property clock and you thought there was is there an area of property that you think is is currently good value because it's out of fashion because it's struggling, but that's not always going to be the case. What we would do is have a look at what's happening in the area in that property and what the cycle has mm. been. I'll give you an example. I was speaking to somebody today about an area up the Sunshine Coast. Um, now, as we all know, the Sunshine Coast 25 years ago was nobody wanted to live there. You couldn't make a living on the Sunshine Coast. <laughs> um, mm. and, yeah. and now property is booming. You can't buy property on the Sunshine Coast. So as a result of that, What's happened is people are now buying further and further more, um, inland, and mm. the little towns inland are now starting to to grow and and um, be bolstered. There's some some of the little towns are still kind of at the bottom of the clock, property clock, but we can see that yeah. there's interest in them. So those are the ones that we you want to go in and, and start buying. <clears throat> okay, that's great. It's great to get an answer on that. I, I, I love when someone actually picks up and says, "Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put my neck out and, and say something and give us a, give us an answer that we can actually hang on to." Thank you for that. All right, lovely. So that's interesting. Uh, for what it's worth, we had uh, Nerida Collisby just last week, and she said the same thing. Sunshine, uh, okay. she said Sunshine yes. Coast, uh, Southeast Queensland. She said it's the hottest part of the country. Uh, that was on residential, so it's interesting. One of, it cuts I'd both say, ways. Yeah, and, one uh, of. Yeah, one mm, of the hottest. Okay, places. terrific. Uh, all right. Well, thank you. We'll, we'll take a break and we'll be back in a moment. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winder? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. Hello, welcome back to the Australian's Money Puzzle podcast. James Kirby, Wealth Editor at The Australian, talking to Mish Daniel of Revolve Commercial Property. She's a buyer's agent, but she's a buyer's agent in the commercial property arena. Uh, we have very specific skills in that, as you can imagine, in that area. And we were just talking about if you're interested in that area, it's, uh, it's quite different than residential and has uh, offers a different proposal, basically. Higher yields, longer tenancies, more work up front. Um, 
that's basically the big difference and very, very interesting I think uh, for people who have either experience in residential property or, uh, or perhaps are tiring of residential property for some reason because perhaps of the, um, uh, the, the, the rising regulation risk I think would be a good way to put it on on uh, residential, not that uh, not that commercial property is free of regulation risk either, but but residential is certainly at the mercy just now of uh, state based governments who are changing uh, and threatening to change the rules in lots of ways, including rent controls in Victoria, which I suppose is the spectacular example of what I'm talking about. Okay. Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y, are there any tax concessions, I'm sorry, are there any tax concessions or other incentives in the build to rent space for mom and dad investors? Well, um, uh, yeah, interesting question, Bailey. Um, Build to rent is just arriving. There are tax concessions primarily geared towards institutional investors, international institutional investors, which have been hammered out in recent times. I just don't know about that area and, and, and retail, I think there will be so little opportunity just now for everyday investors in that area. Uh, are you aware of anything in that area, Mish? Look, uh, built to rent is very much a residential uh, strategy. Um, so hmm. I cannot speak about built to rent and, and what concessions are in, in uh, built to rent. If, if he's uh, asking about commercial, I can tell you there are some pretty good concessions in commercial. Are there concessions that are, that are that that the everyday investor might mightn't be aware of? Um, they are. They'd they be quite a few. Um, uh, we'd we'd have an extensive list that uh, that one could go with. And I think the biggest thing for your listeners to take into consideration is when you are purchasing residential property, you're paying all the outgoings. So you might be you might be at a four or five percent yield, but by the time you've paid all the outgoings, you may be earning a two percent. Mm. Whereas in commercial, yes. we look at net yield, and net is basically mm. after all your outgoings have been paid by the tenant. So the great thing is uh, your tenant's not giving you those hassles. They're paying all your outgoings, and you are netting in your pocket. You're putting 67% um, in your pocket. Right. Yes. So that's, yeah, very that's, good. that's okay, the biggest very, okay. concession. <laughs> Yes, that's a point worth making. And obviously, um, net yields in the cities, in the cities, in residential are very, very low, 3% lower. Mm. Okay, uh, from Trish, can a property owner be forced to sell property if they continue to not pay their fees? This has gone on for years. Property managers and solicitors appear to have their hands tied on such matters. It would be interesting to find out how many owners default on this payment. Trish, um, it's hard to know what exactly what your question was because can a property owner be forced to sell their property if they continue to not pay their fees? It's Well, I suppose if they didn't pay their... If they're not paying their mortgage, yeah. they're going to go into defaults. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> Look- <laughs> so, say, did, did the percentage of... Of force foreclosures in our society, in our economy, is tiny, absolutely tiny, compared to other jurisdictions like the US, for mm. instance. Just so that probably does lead, in some some degree, to what Trish is saying. What, how bad do they have to be before um, they they pay a penalty for it? They have to be very bad indeed. And the percentage of mortgage defaults in the system, even now, are a fractional. So it it, it takes an awful lot before somebody has to sell the property. 
Trisha, again, by the looks of things, is speaking more about residential properties. And I want, I want to bring something to the audience attention, the difference between residential and commercial. When you go into a commercial property, your lease is a legal binding contract, which means that your mm -hmm. lessor cannot default. They cannot pull out of that contract, number one. Number two, it's their place of business. So in other words, they could live in a dump, but they want their business to look shiny, bright, and, and um, beautiful. Mm. Um, if they go into default, we've got very strict regulations with, that allows us to breach them and lock them out. That's the worst thing for any commercial business to go through. Um, so you right. find that... Um, Again, to answer her question, um, in commercial, you'll find less of that and you'll find more security okay. for the owner. Okay. Yes, because because it's it's a business and which is audited, etc. Doesn't have the casual aspect of of, of yeah. renting. Okay, Dennis, what are your views in investing in car parks? We had someone on. I asked about this, and they said, "Don't touch them." It was Stuart Weems. Who said don't touch the car parks? <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? Look, when you're buying car parks, you're basically buying a couple of square meters in somebody else's asset. Um, so when you're buying mm -hmm. a car park, you, you're not necessarily, it's not a freehold, it's in a strata. Okay. And there mm. are huge amount of strata fees. Um, and you really, really got to, got to uh, drill down and have a look at what those fees are because you could have. You've got maintenance fees, you've got management fees, you've got asset fees, you've got you've got I could I could list these fees on go. On a simple on a simple couple of square meters of yeah, concrete. Absolutely. You need yeah. to bear in mind that mm. it is a business. Somebody's running that business and they're gonna they're gonna mm. rent it uh, for whatever they can, but they are you know, they're in it to make as much money as possible. And what they're doing is it's called other people's money. So effectively they are securing that building using your money and they are going to enjoy the fees because they're going to be managing it. They're going to be running it. All the automation is, is there. They're doing the advertising, um, the contracts, you know, so you're going to be charged. Okay, so for you're, 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 you're heavily baked in and at their mercy to Correct. some degree. Sounds like you're skeptical about them too. Look, it's, it's not an asset that I would, um, that I would entice my, my audience to go to. Most certainly not. Mm. Um, you know, mm. there, there are a couple of other Ponzi schemes that are, look very legitimate where you can buy square meterage in storage, for instance. Um, and again, yeah. Uh, car park storage, it's the same sort of thing. You know, if you're buying those mm -hmm. smaller spaces, you're at the beck and call of whoever is running it, the management team behind yes, right. it. Right. You know? Okay. Yeah. Point taken. Very interesting. Yes. All right. In an ID world, I suppose that wouldn't be the case, but in reality, that's the nature of car parks. They're institutional investors uh, who, who have in some way sort of parlayed it out to you in a fractional basis and you're, you are... Um, at the bottom of the yeah, queue. Yeah. But keep that in mind, Dennis. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. One last break. And we have an interesting question from Mark. Australian history is full of colourful but forgotten characters, from alleyway gangsters to Cold War spies and eccentric entrepreneurs. There are hundreds of incredible stories of adventurous Aussies that never make it into our history books. Each week, I talk to some of the country's greatest history authors, sleuths and yarn spinners to uncover the untold stories of some of our most interesting and offbeat ancestors. The show in black and white can be found wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hello, welcome back to The Money Puzzle. James Kirby with Mish Daniel from Revolve Commercial Property. Mark asks, very specific question this one. I believe commercial short-term rental ventures pay council rates at the residential property rate. Can you confirm? What would he be talking about there? Pop-ups or uh, what, what's he talking about? Short-term, short-term rental, rental ventures. Ventures pay council rates. Look, every property pays council rates. Uh, the good thing mm-hmm. about commercial is it's tax deductible. <laughs> so um, you can write mm. it off. And 99% of people that buy commercial properties would buy it into entities where you can write off your depreciation and all of your expenses. So, 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 just tell me about that one. The people, the, tell me about the vehicle or structure they use to buy commercial property is not is something quite specific, is it? Um, yes. Well, there there are various different vehicles to buy commercial properties, mm-hmm. um, and I think your more experienced residential property buyers might be doing the same sort of thing, where you you have a company with a trust, and it's mm. the trust essentially that is purchasing the property. So the property belongs to the trust. Yeah. You are the trustee, yeah. beneficiary, um, uh, and you know director. Um, mm-hmm. The the advantage is that you can write off more expenses. The disadvantage is it's going to cost you a little bit more. But whatever it costs you, you can knock that off. Bearing in mind it's a positive okay. yielding asset, so you want mm-hmm. to have a couple of expenses going through there. Obviously, you want to limit it as much as possible. And from an asset protection point of view, it gives you that that cover. What about the far end of things if you go to sell it someday? What's the difference between holding it in a trust and holding it on your own account? Um, holding it in, in a trust, it's just one entity selling to another entity. So whether that entity is okay. a personal uh, person or another entity, yeah. it works exactly the same way. It gets very complicated okay. when it's a self-managed super fund. There are various different mm. complications with that. Um, and that would be a, a, a whole show in itself <laughs> to go yeah, through. Yeah, it is a whole show in itself. <laughs> and they, they don't make it easy. No. They, they make it very, very hard. But can I just as a quick question on that? I presume there's a certain amount of your clients and people in your area are self-managed super funds going through those elaborate structures that they yes. are c- compelled to do. Yeah, bear trust and all that sort of yeah, thing. Look, yeah, look, and it's, yeah. it's okay. very doable and a lot of people buy in, in um, their bear trust and self-managed super fund. It's, and it's a great it's a great asset to have um, in your mm. self-managed mm. super fund. Um, there, there are a couple of um, regulations around it, but, um, you know, it's a, uh, it's a positive yielding asset. So, who wouldn't want it in their self-managed super? Yes. Oh, who wouldn't want it? The question is, how on earth do you do it? Yes. Okay. As you say, <laughs> another show. And another show. Special extra long one. All right. Okay. But we might leave it at that for today. That was terrific. Thank you very much, Mish Daniel of Revolve Property Commercial. They are based in Brisbane. She's a buyer's agent with a speciality in commercial property. Thanks, Mish. That was great. Thanks, James. Great being here. Okay, folks. Let's have some more questions uh, and let's have them at this email, themoneypuzzle at theaustralian.com.au. Okay, until next week, talk to you soon.